turn in your Bibles to Luke, continue in our series of messages from the book of Luke. A couple of weeks back I mentioned that I've been compelled to speak out against the free will doctrine of Christ loves everybody. Scriptures just do not declare that. You can take John 3.16 and interpret it any way you want to. It does not say that God loved the whole world. So God so loved the world. But he also says in many other places that he loves the people. Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. I've been hammered, not from brothers and sisters in Christ, but from outside Christians recently about our stance against the religion of this world. The religion of it's your free will, it's your decision, God loves everybody if you'll just exercise, if you'll just do something smart and get up and do and accept what God has already done. And that is just not the truth of the Scripture. That doctrine of God loves everybody puts the salvation of God in the hand of men. And I will continue this week and next and the next to stand up against those who diminish and demean the love of God for his people. Those who trample. And yes, I'm speaking out against the religions that surround us in this very country, in this very city that we live in and rescue. There's enough churches right here who preach that very thing, that God has done all that He can. It's now up to you. And that simply takes salvation out of God's hand. It simply says that the blood of God that was shed on that cross 2,000 years ago doesn't mean anything unless you let it. It simply means power of God does not exist unless you allow it. Folks, so-called Christians who stood up against me, they said, how can you just sit there and point your fingers at every religion other than the one here at Rescue? Are you guys the only ones? Are you the ones that Mom used to call me the frozen chosen? And though I point out, no, there's folks in Marysville, Yuba City, there's folks in Utah right now with us online. There's folks in Arizona, Kansas. There's folks in Kentucky. There's folks down in San Diego. No matter how I point out that there's not just rescue, it's all, well, how can you folks at rescue just think you're the only ones who are saved? That Catholic church down the street, they're saved too. No, they're not. If they were, they would come out of that false religion. And that's exactly what it is, a false religion. I said to this person, I said, what about all the places where God tells us to beware? You, you, you beat me up because you think I don't preach the whole gospel, the whole word of God, and then when I bring this up to you, you tell me, oh, that you're just going too far that direction. Let me give you some verses. And this is just some. If I spent the rest of today talking about the bewares, 
You guys have missed the football game. Matthew 7:15, the Lord says, with his own words, out of his own mouth, beware of false prophets. Now wait a minute. If God's saying it, that means somebody out there is preaching a false gospel, doesn't it? Which come to you in the sheep's clothing. They come dressed as a sheep of God. But inwardly they are ravening wolves. In the 16th chapter of Matthew we read this, How is it then that you do not understand that I spake it not to you concerning bread, that ye should beware? You know what beware means? That means you better watch out. That means there's some stuff out there that you need to beware of. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Beware of those who go about trying to get you to feel like you're being saved through your own works. Through what you have done. Folks, salvation is of the Lord and of the Lord alone. You mix in one inkling of leaven and it ruins the entire lump of bread. You know what leaven does? It, it's, it's something man mixes into bread to make it to blow up, to expand, to get bigger. Interestingly, that means puffed up. Again, in Mark, the Lord says, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. In Luke, it also says, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. It also says in Luke chapter 12, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consists not in the abundance of things which he possesses. And then in Philippians chapter 3, 2, Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. Colossians chapter 2, 8, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, and then get this, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. Those who say, if you don't get into the waters of baptism, you can't be saved. If you don't worship on a Saturday, you can't be saved. They've taken what the Corinthians did and they've mixed in the works of men. Do you know that's exactly what Israel did? They took the grace of God from when they were in Egypt and they turned it into a religion of works where they would wear their nice fine robes and if you did this and if you did that, God's done everything He can here, but if you'll do this, then you too can be saved. That's what religions do. If you'll exercise your free will, if you'll make a decision, if you'll come down and pray the prayer, if you'll go into the box and confess your sins to a man, beware, the Lord says, lest any man spoil you through vain philosophy. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 17, our Lord says, inspired the writer to write this, he says, Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also being led away with the error of the wicked fall from your own steadfastness steadfastness 
It also tells us in God's word, beware of the wide path to destruction. Why is it so important for me to stand up against that? My job, folks, is to magnify God's grace for his people. You come here out of the world. You've been in the world all week long. You've been surrounded by the things of the world, family that may be attending false doctrines, false preaching, false churches. Maybe it's sin within yourself that is troubling you. You come here for a need, don't you? We need to hear about the grace of our Savior, do we not? I don't know about you, but coming down here, John, come down here and pray the prayer. That didn't, that doesn't work. There's only one thing that works, and that is a God who gave himself for us. And that's my job. Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith the Lord. Isaiah chapter 40. What? Comfort them with what? Your warfare is accomplished. The battle that you are fighting in your body has already been fought and won by the Lord Jesus. David said, my sins are ever before me. Are they before you? You come here today to hear the comfort of God's grace for his people, not something that you got to do. There's nothing you can do. We want to hear about he who has done it already. That's good news. That's words of life. That's the words of life that God sends to the hearts of his people saying, I've already done it for you. I've already taken my father's wrath upon me is what the Lord says to his people. Your punishment for what you did this week was laid upon our Savior 2,000 years ago and when he shed his perfect blood, God the Father said, that's good enough. You ain't got nothing good I can accept over here, but my son gave me his perfect blood for us. In the word of Malachi chapter 1, Verses 2 and 3, we read these words, I have loved you, saith the Lord. I have loved you. Wherein hast thou loved us, we say back, was not Esau Jacob's brother? Saith the Lord, yet I have loved Jacob, and I hated Esau, and laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. Why is that so important? Because it magnifies his grace to his people. It takes everything out of our hands, which was nothing there in the first place, and it puts it all in His Son, the Lord Jesus. His grace. Sovereign grace. The Lord says, I'll be merciful unto whom I will be merciful. You get down and walk the aisle and, and you think you're saved for that reason, then, then, then you're saying, God's accepted what you've done. If God loves you, this is according to Scripture. If God loves you, there is nothing. Nothing. Not even yourself. Not even myself is going to stop him from having his way. 
I love to use this as an example. You've heard it before. Don Fortner used to use it with his daughter Faith. Remember how uh, he would say that? He, she would run down the driveway towards the street. The first thing he'd do, is he, and he'd say, even though I'm a big man, I'd still bam, right out that door going after her. What makes you think God wouldn't do that for those that he loves? He's God. All he has to do is think, and it's so. All he has to do is desire, and it is so. Otherwise, he's not God. If God could desire anything and it not be so, then he's not God, and you and I are wasting our time. Simple. I believe he is God. And I know that if I believe, it's because he is God that I believe. Just the same as Nicodemus, you must be born again. You know, we sing that song, I was blind, but now I see. That blind man who got healed. Remember what he told the remember what he told the Pharisees when they said, Well, how did you get healed? He goes, Man, I don't know. Or they, they no, they said they said, Who who is this man that healed? He said, I don't know. I don't I can tell you this, I know I was blind. And I know that now I see. That's salvation. That's God coming to His elect and giving us eyes and a new heart. Eyes to see the truth and a new heart to love Him. A heart that didn't love Him before. And we know that, don't we? If I am loved of God, there is nothing, not even myself, nor my will, can separate me from the love of God. Is that not what Paul wrote in Romans 8? Did he not say that? I am confident. I, I didn't say the right. Let me just. We'll get to uh, we'll get to Luke here in just a moment. Don't worry, we got time. What's the word he says over there in Romans eight? He uses this word right here. He says, "I am persuaded." Are you persuaded? I'm persuaded. God's persuaded me. Through the preaching of his word, I see that he is God and nothing can stay his hand. If he loves me, and this is what bothers me about those who say he loves everybody. If he loves me, he's not going to let me go to hell. He gave his only begotten son for his people, for all of his chosen people throughout all time. Those who were chosen in the son before the world ever began. Those who were saved before their, their names were written in the Lamb's book of life before anything was ever created. Christ was known as the Lamb slain from before the foundation of the world. Why? Because he was going to save his people. He was going to save you, James. Everything that was created was so that you would walk into this church the day that you did and hear his gospel preach the way God spoke to your heart and saved you right then and there. It's called love all-powerful. Let me read for you from John chapter 10. Familiar words, you know these words. And Jesus walked in the temple of Solomon's porch. Then came the Jews round about him and said unto him, How long dost thou make us to doubt if thou be the Christ? Tell us plainly. And what did the Lord say? He says, I told you, and ye believe not. 
the works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me, but ye believe not because ye are not my sheep. And then he says this. This is love with all power. This is the love of God for his people. This is the love that gives him glory. This is the love that tells of his power. My sheep hear my voice. And I know them. And they follow me. doesn't say they might. They follow me. And I give unto them eternal life. And they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Love all powerful. Over and over and over again, we see what lengths of mercy, what magnitude of grace God has gone to and will go to to bring a chosen sinner unto Himself. What did He do? He sent one person. Over and over and over again, we see examples of our Lord going into one place and saving one person. Remember the lady at the well? Doesn't say he saved anybody else there. He saved her, didn't he? What about the, uh, uh, there was a man with uh, leprosy. How many lepers were in the world at that time, but it only tells us of the one man that he saved, that he cleansed from his leprosy. Over and over and over again. For every chosen, redeemed sinner, there is an appointed time when he or she shall be called by God's almighty grace. And God uses the preaching of the gospel to do that. Everywhere we go in this book, what do you hear? We, we, were, just, we were just in uh, Luke chapter 8, verses 19 through 23 last week. What did we talk about? We talked about the salvation of God's elect, God's chosen people, and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Every Scripture points us to Christ and Him crucified. The Lord God Almighty in His grace calls His people through the preaching of the gospel. The time is called the time of life or the time of love. Though we be born children of wrath, even as others, even God's elect were from eternity, though we be born children of wrath, even as others, God's elect were from eternity the objects of immutable mercy, immutable love, and immutable grace. Though we ran like hell-bent towards destruction, the Lord God from old eternity said this, Job 38.11, Hitherto shalt thou go and no further. I was 40 years old, and God said, that's as far as you're going to go that way. Now you're going to know me. And he said it through the preaching of his gospel. Hitherto shall thou go no further. Here in Luke we have a lengthy portion of scripture. I'll try not to say, speak, I'll try not to comment too much about it as we go through it. But it's a clear example of our salvation. And our salvation is of the Lord. I pray that we each may be brought to see ourselves in this story and take warning against those who would teach salvation through the works of man.
I want to begin with Luke chapter 8, verse 22. And now it came to pass. Why do I begin with this? Because it's so important to know God's people can be... We were talking earlier about resting in Christ in our in our Bible study. There's a rest for those who are in Christ. Well, this is our rest that God is sovereign ruler over everything. It says, now it came to pass. What came to pass? Exactly what God had determined to, to happen. Now it came to pass on a certain day. See there? Not only did it come to pass, but it came to pass on a certain day. A certain particular point in time. Why? Because God had purposed it to happen. On that day, in that time, and exactly how it was going to happen. He went into a ship with his disciples and he said unto them, Let's go over unto the other side of the lake. And they launched forth. Now, I want you to jump over to verse 26. And they arrived at the country of the Gadareans, which is over against Galilee. And when he went forth to land, there met him out of the city a certain man. Now, let's stop there. Was this the only guy there? Was he the only man on that side of the seashore? See how the Lord uses to talk about his chosen people, his elect. His people for whom he's going to save no matter what. A certain man. That's what he called the woman at the well. A certain woman. A certain man came into this church one day, sat down over here in that pew, and heard God's word for the first time. A certain man and his family came to this church one day, and they had been going to another church for many a years, and said, I can't do this anymore with that church. You folks are whacked out. It makes no sense. You're not saying the things that I see in Scripture. His daughter came to him and said, let's go over and try this church, Dad. A certain day they came to this church and heard the gospel preached. A certain day James showed up. A certain day a group of people were brought a pastor to hear the word spoken for the first time. Don't tell me God doesn't choose things that He wants. He does choose. And when God chooses something, who's going to stop Him? If your God is trying, then your preacher is lying. Period. And when he went forth to land, there met him out of the city a certain man which had devils. Long time. Let me give you an example of that. The Lord was walking along with his disciples. And the Lord was telling them how we're going to go up to Jerusalem. And when we go up there, I'm going to be arrested. And they're going to take me and they're going to drag me off and they're going to beat me to death. And then when they're done beating me to where I'm unrecognizable anymore, they're going to hang me on a cross and they're going to shed my blood. And Peter goes, no way, dude. Uh-uh, that ain't happening. As long as I'm alive, you're not going to be treated that way. And what did God say to him? Remember what he said? Get thee behind me, Satan. Get thee behind me, Satan. How many devils you got in you? I can't count how many are in me in this flesh. Every time I doubt my salvation, it's the devil rearing up his ugly head in this flesh. 
Thank God, he says to you and I, get thee behind me. Thank God, as we take our eyes off of our Lord and Savior, we begin to sink in the water, he reaches down and grabs us. Why? Because he loves us. How dare you trample that love under your feet. Let's go on. And when he went forth to land, there met him out of the city a certain man which had devils long time, and wear no clothes, neither abode in any house, but in the tombs. He made his dwelling place with the dead. Isn't that what we did? Doesn't the scriptures describe us as those who run from the light because we don't want the light? We don't desire the light. Why? Because it shines the faults that are within us. We lived in the tombs, in darkness. Verse 28, And when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him, and with a loud voice said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God, most high? I beseech you, torment me not. For he had commanded the unclean lip spirit to come out of the man, for oftentimes it had caught him, and he was kept bound with chains and fetters, and he broke the bands and was driven of the devil into the wilderness. Every descendant of Adam is by nature under the full sway and influence of unclean spirits. We are all by nature ruled by our own depravity, our own corrupt hearts, our own wills. We are taken captive by Satan at his will. Hold your place there for just a moment. Turn over to uh, Romans chapter 3. Don't take my word for it. Let's look and see what God's word says about it. Romans chapter 3 verse 9. We read this question. What then? Are we better than they? No. No. It's too easy for those who think themselves to be righteous now because they go to church. Righteous now because they attend services every Sunday. For them to stand up and say, see how righteous I am? See how much holier I am than thou? God will never leave one of his people in that position. What then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise. For we have before proved both Jesus and Gentiles that they are still all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way, they are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher, and their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of ass is under, is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Isaiah declares that we are all as an unclean thing. Our hearts are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Out of our hearts come forth every abominable evil that exists in this world. 
But notice what it says over in verses 28 and 29 of our text in Luke chapter uh, 4. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and with a loud voice said, What have I to do with thee, Son of God, most high? I beseech thee, torment me not. And what's it say next in verse 29? For he, the Lord Jesus, had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For God had commanded the spirit to come out. You don't get smarter by reading God's Word, and then all of a sudden you tell the spirits to come out of you. It must be commanded of God. He's the only one who's got that kind of power. You haven't got that kind of power. If God left me to myself, I'd still be out there on the Harley riding around doing all the stuff I used to do 26 years ago. I loved the darkness. I didn't want to come to the light. I wouldn't come to the light. Though the man was bound and chained by his nature, the true and living God commanded. He commanded life where there was nothing but death. The love of God lifted this man from death unto life. It says in Mark chapter 5 concerning this very event, the Lord said, for he had said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. Matthew, Mark, and Luke show us in this Gadarean, a picture of a poor lost sinner coming to Christ. I cannot pass this without pointing out the fact that our Savior sovereignly and graciously used the very devils who would destroy that Gadarean to bring him unto mercy. Did you catch that? God's sovereign over everything, folks, including you, or he's not God. Now look at this man. He was afar off. That's our place by nature. He was afar off from Christ, and the Lord Jesus was afar off from him. In character, he was afar off. This man and the God-man had nothing in common. In knowledge, he was afar off. The demoniac knew who Christ was, but he did not know him personally as his personal Savior. He did not know personally know the grace of God to a hell-deserving sinner said, what have I to do with thee? That poor demoniac was utterly helpless and hopeless. If you are yet without Christ, no words can paint a picture of your desperate need. You are so far off from God that you cannot and will not of your own accord or by your own ability come unto Him. But notice this. Though He was afar off, the Lord Jesus came to Him and He cast out the devil. How? He cast out the devils by the preaching of His Word. The preaching of the, of, the self, of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The preaching of grace that the Lord comes in His Word to chosen blood-bought people through the preaching of His Gospel. You say, how? How does this Gospel lift a poor dead sinner from death unto life? Well, I can tell you this, there's only one Gospel that does that. There's only one gospel that does that. Turn over to Galatians chapter 1. Hold your, mark your place in Luke. We'll come back one more time to that. But I want to turn over to Galatians and read a couple of verses. Look at two verses with me there in Galatians chapter 1. Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ. 
Did you catch that? Into that will call you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. There's only one. Look what it says about that next. It says another gospel, which is, verse 7, which is not another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert, would change, would pervert, make lasciviousness out of the gospel of Christ. That's what the word lascivious means. It means to, to make it wicked. To turn the power of God over to the power of men. That's taking the gospel and making it wicked. Making it evil. It's putting men above God. There's only one gospel. Look back at verses 3 and 4 of that very same chapter. Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself, here's the gospel, the one true gospel, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to what? According to your will? According to you getting up and coming to the front and saying a prayer? According to you going to church on Sunday? No, according to the will of God our Father. That's the gospel. When God speaks to the heart, He speaks with power. Friday night we spoke about this very thing. What happened when the Lord passed by those men on the seashore? He said, come, follow me. What did they do? They got up and followed Him. When He came to the tomb of Lazarus, what did, they, what did He do? He said, Lazarus, come forth. What did Lazarus do? He came forth. God speaks to His people with power. The power of God behind it. And it's effectual. And it took that power to call this sinner out of darkness. And everyone else that He calls as well. Go back to our text in Luke. And let's look at the results and I'll bring this to a close. Begin reading at verse 30 of our text there in Luke chapter 8. And Jesus asked him, saying, What is thy name? And he said, Legion, because many devils were entered into him. And they besought him that he would not command them to go out into the deep. And there was there a herd of many swine feeding on the mountain. And they besought him that he would suffer them to enter into them. And he suffered them. Then went the devils out of the man and entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the lake and were choked. Verse 34. When they that had fed them saw what was done, they fled and went and told it in the city and in the country. Verse 35. Then they went out to see what was done and came to Jesus and found the man out of whom the devils were departed sitting at the feet of Jesus clothed in his right man and they were afraid what are the results when God speaks to one of his people they are found sitting at the feet of Jesus how often have you been to a speaking with a, a religious person and you hear these words I decided to begin following my Lord back in two, 1921 or 19 or 2002 or, or whenever. How often? I chose to put things aside in my life in 
turn away from the, 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 the tattoos that I had gotten, turn away from the, the crowd that I had been around, and I decided to start following the Lord. If God left me to my decisions, I'd be right there, still running around those tombs, acting like a madman. But no, the power of God has spoken to one of His people. Spoken to one for whom he has loved before the world was. And now everywhere I go, I'm not saying I am any better than I was then as far as being a sinner. In fact, if anything, I'm worse. I see the truth of what sin is in this flesh. I was blind to those little thoughts and feelings that we would have against God. The little look over there at those folks uh, dressed so cantly or, or or the anger that was in my heart towards that man who just cut me off. Well, he deserved me to be mad at him. I see it for the sin that it is in me now. When the power of God speaks, his love lifts his people up. You know, you got to be brought down to be lifted up. I've spent enough time bringing you down to the sinners that we are. I pray God has lifted you up as he does in Ephesians. Turn over if you would. You don't need to hold your place in Luke anymore. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 2. You can't describe it any more clear than this. In Ephesians chapter 2 we read these words, But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved who? Who did he love here? Did he love the world? Is he declaring love for everybody that walks this earth? No, he loved us. A particular people. Even even when we were dead in sins. Even then hath he quickened us together with Christ by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up to sit together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Love lifted me. Love caused me to sit in heavenly places. Love brought me to the feet of Jesus, my Lord and Savior. Amen.